Futurists are looking at the 21st century. And all myths that are uh, authentic maintain a kind of dreamlike, surreal quality. Computers are taking over now. By the year 2001, man will travel about in pneumatic people tubes. It's time once again to step into the future. Since biblical times, man has witnessed and recorded strange manifestations in the sky and speculated on the possibilities of visitors from another world. I think it surprises people who only know me from my books when they discover that I'm really, really into UFOs. Because I'm mostly known for writing historical fiction and UFOs seem like the kind of thing only a sci-fi author would be into. Ever since the 1940s when flying saucers first really entered the public consciousness in that form, like in the shape of a flying saucer, it's been kind of dangerous to publicly admit that you're a UFO nerd. I mean dangerous in the social sense. People will think you're a kook, they won't take you seriously, and you won't get work or you won't get your books published or whatever. So this isn't something I've been comfortable talking about with just anyone or where anyone might overhear. I haven't even told my sister this story, so this will be the first she ever hears about it on my podcast. But for me to not tell my sister something, you know I'm really keeping it to myself if I haven't said anything to her. I think I'm so fascinated by UFOs because 20 years ago I saw one. and. Even though the experience has stayed with me for decades, and even though I've probably spent more hours of my life since that moment thinking about what the hell I actually saw and what it means, like, for reality, for us, humanity, I've spent more time thinking about that than I've thought about anything else. My writing, anything. But I've only been okay with talking about the experience publicly for the past year and a half. And that's because in the summer of 2021, the governments of several nations, including the United States, publicly admitted that far from being the delusions of kooks or fantasies, or even in some cases, ordinary objects that have been misidentified, UFOs are real. They're really here. They really are significantly more advanced than even the most cutting edge of human technology. And they give every appearance of being interested in us. We just don't know why, or who's controlling them, or where they come from. This is Future Saint of a New Era. I'm Libby Grant. In Dayton, Ohio, the Air Intelligence Command gathers and sifts data from all quarters of the globe. 97% of the objects prove on investigation to be of natural origin, while 3% still are listed as unknown. The Air Force is aware of the widely held belief that some of these could be flying saucers from another planet. While there is nothing conclusive in the evidence, the probing and digesting of information about UFOs continues unceasingly. So, yes, I suppose the best place to start with this whole story is with my own personal UFO experience. I mean, this is why I ended up so interested in UFOs in the first place. If you can believe it, we're back with Jeff and Jake again! This was a little after I'd broken up with Jeff for the second time, and shortly before Jake and I split as roommates, so shortly before I quit my job at Dick's Drive-In, as recalled in episode 2, I was sitting in the hot tub with Jake and Jeff. It was night. This was in Edmonds, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle, so it's not right in the city, but it's definitely still 
city enough that there's a lot of light pollution in the area. So even though it was a clear night, we couldn't see a ton of stars, which was standard for that area. But there were some stars visible. And we were, you know, just chatting about whatever, life. And there was this moment when, for some reason, all three of us stopped talking and looked up into the sky at the same time. I don't recall anything that made us look up. Like, there was no unusual sound or anything like that. We just stopped talking and looked up. And there was this little formation of five lights in a V traversing the sky overhead. Nothing unusual about that at all. There were three military bases in the Puget Sound area, so anyone who lives there, you see aircraft flying in formation all the time. The lights were white, like the stars, and they were roughly the same size as the visible stars, maybe like a tiny bit bigger, so they looked like they were very high up in the sky. But just a couple of seconds after all three of us looked up, the lights began to move. In a way, uh, still to this day, I feel very confident in saying that there is no human technology, no aircraft that can move like this. And certainly in 2001, 2002, whatever year this was, impossible. All five of these lights in a blink so fast, it was shocking. They began to weave in and out around each other like, uh, it was like each of the five lights was a strand in a braid and they were braiding themselves with impossible speed. The speed and the precision of the movement of these lights, that was what struck me as inhuman. These lights wove in and out of each other's flight path so tightly. There was no like arc as they changed direction. There was no banking or swinging wide. It was this, uh, it was like a visual garbling. So like, imagine, you know, the sound when you fuck up a tape cassette and it makes that weird like sound. It's like that, but visual. And it's lights that are moving instead of sounds that are all mixing together. That's the best I can do at describing this. And this display of impossibly fast maneuvering went on for like maybe two seconds. And in another blink, the lights snapped back into V formation and just kept on flying. And they disappeared behind the trees and Jake and Jeff and I sat there on the hot tub still staring up at the sky, not saying a word, just dumbfounded by what we'd seen. And after a little while I said, did you guys see that? And I remember Jeff just said, yes in this tone that suggested like he couldn't really decide whether he was relieved or horrified that I had seen something weird too. Jake said he wanted to go inside like right that second. So we got out of the hot tub and went back into our apartment. And Jake was like, not himself for the rest of the night. He was really quiet and withdrawn and I don't know, he just didn't want to talk about what we'd seen. I never mentioned this incident to Jake or Jeff again. I never told anyone about it. I knew no one would believe me or they would just think it was insignificant. Like, big deal, you saw something weird in the sky. You probably just mistook jets or a flock of birds or, you know, or something totally ordinary for something strange, whatever. I just felt like I still feel like there's no point in trying to describe it. My job, my whole reason for existence is to use words to put images and experiences in other people's heads and make them feel what I want them to feel and see what I want them to see. And I know that I am entirely incapable of describing why this experience was so strange. Why it was absolutely not jets or birds or some other ordinary object or whatever mundane explanation might cover it. If you've listened to episode four of this podcast when I talked to Alison Epstein, you've already heard me say that real paranormal experiences have this inexplicable, rationality-defying quality to them. Seeing a UFO is a bit like going on a strong psychedelic trip where you can try to make someone else understand what you saw and what you felt and why it was so uniquely strange and beautiful, but you're never going to feel as if you've succeeded in conveying what you want to convey. 
because the entire experience is essentially ineffable. We evolved as a species with limited senses and limited capabilities, but sometimes we brush up against an experience that makes us conscious of the fact that reality is so much bigger, so much more complex than we're even capable of understanding. Like the smartest human who's ever lived will not be able to comprehend some aspects of reality because we're just human and the human brain can only handle so much information and can only handle certain kinds of information. But we still get glimpses now and then, you know, of like how much more is out there beyond the limited range of our senses. And how do you describe those things? How do you explain them? How do you even find the words? I believe very strongly that words are the most powerful tool we have as a species. And yet words are so inadequate in the face of the great mysteries. Here's the thing though, this is real. UFOs are real. What I saw, and thank goodness I saw it with two other people or I would have eventually written it off as a misunderstanding or like a false memory. But no, I really did see something impossible. I never talked about it, not with anyone, not even Jake or Jeff, for the past 20 years. And of course, long before that, it's been too risky to talk about seeing UFOs or even talking about like your belief that they might be real. You know, you'll just be labeled a crazy person. No one will take you seriously. So even though it's one of the most astonishing and most important and formative experiences of your entire life, if you're smart, you will keep it to yourself out of self-interest. But that changed for me and for a lot of other people in 2021. Even though I never talked about my experience, I stayed engaged with the UFO world for two decades. Back in the early days of the internet, it was a lot easier. Like nowadays, unless you venture onto the dark web, which I don't recommend if you aren't an irredeemable pervert, the only place you can really be anonymous online now is a website called Reddit. Reddit is very much like the internet that existed back in the day, like in the early 2000s and up through like the early teens before social media just wiped out almost everything else online. Back then it was easier to be anonymous on the internet so I could stay involved with UFO communities and keep in the loop about research and sightings and whatnot without, you know, risking my reputation. And right at the beginning of 2021, rumors began to percolate through the online UFO community that this was the year when we would finally get disclosure. Today, from the skies of California, the fields of Kansas, the rice paddies of the Orient, the air lanes of the world, come persistent reports of UFOs, unidentified flying objects which we have come to know as flying saucers. Oh god, disclosure is a big deal in the UFO community. It's basically just the mythologized moment when the government of whatever country, your country, or maybe it's specifically the US government since the US appears to have the most advanced technology on the planet at the moment, or at least the most advanced human tech. Anyway, disclosure is the moment when the government finally admits to the world that UFOs are real and it's aliens. Here is the dramatic story that rips aside the veil of secrecy surrounding the momentous question of the century. Are the flying saucers real? What are they? Where do they come from? Disclosure has been so heavily mythologized in this community that probably like 90% of UFO nerds were dead certain in early 2021 that before the year was out, everyone on the planet would officially know that aliens had been flying around Earth's atmosphere for years and years. And the governments of the world knew all about it and knew exactly what was going on the whole time and never told the citizens because reasons. And every individual nerd's pet theory about what UFOs were and where they came from would be validated and proven true and all the UFO nerds would get to point in the faces of the friends and family and co-workers who had mocked them for years and years and laugh like Nelson from The Simpsons. <laughs> That's what the community had built disclosure up to. They were expecting fireworks. They needed fireworks. It started really back in December of 2017 when the New York Times published an article verifying the existence of a special task force at the Pentagon, which had been rumored to exist since the like mid to late 2000s, but which had been ignored or outright denied by actual members of the government. 
This 2017 article confirmed that the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP, had in fact existed from 2007 to 2012. It had been overseen by a Pentagon employee named Luis Elizondo. In the UFO community, we call him Lou for short, and not only had Lou turned whistleblower with a willingness to speak about the things ATIP had investigated and the findings it had gleaned, but Lou's accounts and the existence of ATIP, as well as his role as ATIP's leader, were verified by Senator Harry Reid, who's a trusted figure, like well-respected in the Senate. He was even Senate Majority Leader while ATIP existed. After this article ran in the New York Times, the U.S. Navy came out and identified a few pieces of video footage, previously only rumored to be genuine recordings made from Navy aircraft by professional service members, that showed unexplained phenomena in the air and in the oceans. So in 2017, we got, first, the former leader of ATIP asserting that yes, ATIP existed, and yes, it was investigating UFOs, and yes, they found some wild shit on those investigations. And then the Navy admitting that video footage of UFOs that had been circulating on the internet for years, rumored to be genuine military recordings, were in fact real and not like CGI made by hoaxers or something like that. I think once those initial cards fell, the government understood that it couldn't continue to pretend like UFOs aren't real, like the cat was out of the bag in 2017, you know? So when, in early 2021, we heard that soon a formal report would be made by Congress regarding the United States' history with UFOs, many people within the UFO community felt that our hour was at hand. I know there was a lot going on in 2020 and 2021, like, a lot. It's been a rough few years on planet Earth, I get it. But I'm still astonished by the fact that so many people, even now, a year and a half after the first congressional report, don't even realize that it happened. Humanity's head is so far in the sand that probably most people who listen to this podcast will find this to be startling news. The whole thing where not only the US government, but the governments of several other countries coordinated an admission in the summer of 2021 that UFOs are real as hell. And yeah, there's some other intelligence flying craft around our planet and nobody knows who the hell is doing this or where they come from. That happened. That's now a, a real part of Earth's history. And... Most of you listening to this podcast probably still don't believe me because it seems too absurd. Go Google it, seriously. Just type, like, UFO 2021 into your favorite browser and hold on to your ass, because it's real. I'm not making this up. One of the interesting effects of the disclosure we got in the summer of 2021 is the dissatisfaction so many people in the UFO community felt. Because they'd been expecting and needing those fireworks, right? They'd spent years or decades, their entire lives in some cases, imagining the moment when governments around the world finally admitted the truth and these things in the sky are real and they expected this big, shocking announcement that aliens are here! That's not what happened. <laughs> what actually happened is that these governments told the truth for once. They admitted that we don't know what these things are or where they come from. We tend to associate UFOs with aliens like extraterrestrials, beings from some other planet. But that might not be the likeliest explanation. And the real explanation might prove to be something we can't even really wrap our heads around. By the way, if you want an excellent deep dive into all the aspects of the ongoing government disclosure on this subject, including careful, thoughtful explanations for what might be behind the phenomenon, I highly recommend a podcast called The UFO Rabbit Hole. It's hosted by Kelly Chase, and she does an absolutely spectacular job of presenting what we know in a really accessible way. So The UFO Rabbit Hole will help you understand what's actually going on here and why aliens might not be the likeliest explanation for all of this weirdness. Because it really is just cultural bias that makes us reach for aliens as the explanation. You know, like media and entertainment have conditioned us to associate space-traveling beings from some other planet with UFOs. But we have very limited data on these objects at this point and no real evidentiary reason as yet to decide that these are craft from another planet. Several other potential explanations are just as likely or perhaps more likely than extraterrestrials. 
Some of these possibilities, not all, but some of these possibilities include future humans who have learned how to traverse time or like maybe who've just figured out how to look through space-time to observe humanity's past without technically traveling here. Maybe there are parallel universes to our own and on a parallel Earth an intelligent species similar to humans has created these advanced craft which for some reason occasionally poke through the boundaries between their universe and ours. Maybe some intelligent civilization in a parallel universe has learned how to manipulate the boundaries between realities and these intrusions are not accidental at all, but intentional. Maybe these are simply strange weather effects, plasma, which give the appearance of intelligent control, but are simply operating inertly under some principle of physics which we don't understand yet. The possible explanation that makes the most sense to me, in which I favor in the absence of better evidence, is that these are technological artifacts created by another terrestrial civilization. That humans are not the most intelligent species on Earth. We are not the pinnacles of evolution, not the pinnacles of God's creation. There has been an intelligence on this planet far longer than we've existed. Maybe in our deepest oceans, which after all, we have explored less than we've explored space, but we're so stupid and primitive by comparison that we're only just beginning to figure out that the other intelligence exists at all. Kind of like how ants just go about their lives totally unaware of the human that's standing beside the anthill watching them. And maybe there's as great a difference in intelligence and capability between ourselves and this other Earth civilization as there is between ants and humans. I've been thinking about this for 20 years, and of course I'm no closer to landing on any real answer. But the question of what else is on this planet with us has preoccupied me all this time. The timing of Congress's first official report on the subject in the summer of 2021 was really interesting to me. Because it harkened back in some fascinating ways to one of my favorite pieces of UFO lore, which was a story I'd come across on Reddit in 2015. Back then I'd been following various rabbit holes through the UFO Reddit subs, as I love to do, and I came across a story that had been written two years prior in 2013. Somehow I had missed it when it had originally been posted. This story purported to be a true, non-fictional account of an alien abduction. It was written by a person who used the pseudonym Throwawaylian. So on Reddit, it's common to use what's known as a throwaway account if you want to add, like, an extra layer of anonymity to your posts. So you'll often find Redditors with the word throwaway in their usernames, and that's an indication that they intend to remain anonymous. So throwawaylian clearly did not mean for anyone to know his identity. I read this story just totally fascinated by it. It was the account of a person who'd been experiencing abductions by extraterrestrial beings from age 12 on. And of course there was a series of questions by other Redditors which Throwawaylian answered. Now it was obvious to me that this was a work of fiction. As I mentioned in the previous episode, I'm pretty good at detecting story and real life experiences rarely have the earmarks of story, especially real life encounters with the paranormal. But there were enough unusual features to the Throwawaylian narrative and enough uh, confusion within it that I also felt sure that something more was going on. It wasn't just a work of fiction. In all the places where the author found it hard to put concepts into words, in all the places where he stressed that he couldn't really explain certain aspects of this experience, I found reason to suspect that this story was more like a mask which the author had put over a genuine experience. Something that was too weird to be explained in a straightforward way, and fiction was just the best vehicle this person had found to contain the story he needed to tell, and an alien abduction was merely the metaphor he found most useful for illustrating his point. Although I felt really sure that the superstructure of this narrative was fiction, like this writer hadn't literally been abducted by aliens and hadn't literally experienced like being inside a ship with walls that could read his body and his mind and stuff, but he had seen something. I felt dead sure of that because at one point in the story, he said that these aliens that abducted him showed him videos of human history. And one of the scenes he'd been shown involved the construction of the Great Pyramids of Egypt. 
Now, most people believe a whole lot of nonsense about how the pyramids were built. It's just kind of common knowledge, in air quotes, that the monuments of Egypt were built by enslaved people, and in the Western imagination, that usually means enslaved Hebrews because that's what's in the Bible. But, uh, the Bible is not a historically accurate document, folks. There's actually no archaeological evidence that the Hebrew people were ever enslaved en masse at any point in Egyptian history, which spans more than 6,000 years. And actually, we have damn good archaeological evidence to support the idea that Egyptian monuments were built by paid workers, who even got housing and healthcare from their government in exchange for their services. And how do I know all this? Glad you asked. I've been a huge ancient Egypt nerd since I was a kid, and when I first began writing, I focused heavily on historical fiction set in ancient Egypt because it's awesome. I, I love Egyptology. I love the history of Egypt. It's the coolest shit ever. Believe me when I say it is painful to be both a UFO nerd and an Egypt nerd at the same time, because that ancient aliens bullshit is very popular with UFO dorks. Pretty much everyone, in the broader culture for sure, but even more so in the UFO community, everyone believes that big fancy monuments from ancient civilizations couldn't possibly have been built with the technology they had back then, blah 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 blah. So therefore, aliens did it? It's stupid. And I gotta be honest, uh, it's pretty racist too. But you know, the idea persists in Western culture, probably because racism persists in Western culture. But what struck me about the Throwawalian account was the way the writer treated ancient Egypt. Naturally, some UFO nerd or other asked him to expound upon how the pyramids had actually been built, and no doubt this person expected Throwawalian to give the expected account that would have lined up with the aliens did it narrative. To my surprise, however, Throwawalian answered the question with the truth or the closest a person without any Egyptology background can come to describing what the truth would have looked like. Here's what he said about what the aliens showed him regarding the building of the pyramids. I don't know how they were built. I'm not an engineer or an architect. I can tell you this though, it wasn't slaves. There was a town right there where all the workers lived. There was a lot of singing and at night there was dancing and what looked like bonfire parties. The big blocks of stone came in off a river that was there, which I, I guess was the Amazon. He meant the Nile, of course, Amazon is a typo. It came right up to where they were building, though, so it was probably a canal or else the river moved? And one thing is this, when you see pictures of it, it's always guys pushing big blocks up ramps around the outside of the pyramids, but that's not right. The blocks went up the inside of the pyramids. I don't know if they had ramps inside or elevators or something, but they pushed the blocks inside the pyramids and then at the top they came out at the corners. Also, because people always care about this, there were no white people there. There were some black people there, but mostly they all looked like Egyptians. Kind of brown, kind of olive. That's all I remember from the video. Wow, I mean, he nailed it. This is exactly what ancient Egypt was like in terms of racial distribution, the description of how the pyramids were constructed. It's right on. The pyramids were not built by slaves. They were built by workers who lived in a town that was constructed right near the building site. The huge blocks of stone were floated to the site on barges, which were navigated down canals, which were dug to the building site by workers. And yes, blocks were transported up ramps inside the pyramid, emerging through portal areas at the four corners of the construction. This is correct. All of it. And it's also so very unlike our current cultural ideas about how the pyramids were built that I knew the author of this story had to either be an Egyptologist, whether amateur or professional, because nobody else has done a deep enough dive into archaeological writings to nail so many of these obscure details, or the author of this story really did have a vision of the past. I was fascinated, and I wanted to know more, but very little additional information about Throwawalian or his narrative could be found. However, new subreddits grew up around the story and around the account name Throwawalian, and these subs were dedicated to finding out the identity of the author, as well as verifying or trying to verify some of the information in the story. It was like a kind of mini-cult blossomed around this narrative, with people speculating about what would happen in July of 2021 when, according to the original story, something big was going to occur. So this is another quote from the original text of the story. They will make contact with Earth on a wide scale in 2021, 
That's the year when they'll land here or colonize or whatever. The whole program or whatever they call it is going to change in July 2021. I think they said 8th, but it could also have been 18th. I wasn't hearing very well. They weren't trying to intimidate me or even to warn me, so I don't think we have anything to worry about. So Throwawaylian said in 2013 that in July of 2021, something important would change. The aliens would make contact with Earth on a wide scale that summer. And on these subs that grew as offshoots of the original story, this predicted date in July of 2021 became known as AT, which was how Throwawaylian claimed the entities that had abducted him pronounced the date. He couldn't tell whether they meant July 8th or July 18th, because AT was so hard to interpret. But that date, sometime in July 2021, was something to look forward to. Something to wonder about. For seven and a half years. Do we have visitors from space? Are the many sightings fact or fiction? Is this a prediction of things to come? Are flying saucers bent on conquering the world? How will mankind react to spacecrafts? I met Josh on Twitter in the summer of 2021. It was early summer, we were in the weeks leading up to the expected report from Congress regarding UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which is the new fancy acronym serious people use if they want to be taken seriously when they talk about UFOs. I don't remember exactly how I realized Josh was the writer behind Throwawaylian. I think he kind of casually mentioned it in some thread on UFO Twitter because now that we were on the threshold of disclosure, I think he was feeling more comfortable about coming forward and admitting that he'd written the story. I contacted him directly and I told him I didn't know what the real story was behind his fictional narrative, but I knew something unusual and life-altering had happened to him, and I believed him. I told him all the things he got right about the Egyptian pyramids, which was everything. I told him these were things people only knew if they'd read some very obscure texts on Egyptology. So I told him that whatever had truly happened to him, I knew it was real. And on that note, Josh and I struck up a friendship. He's a fascinating guy because he is so ordinary. Just a husband and a dad, a guy with very normal hobbies, a very normal job. He used to be a journalist, but he's moved on from that. I'm not sharing his last name or specifics about his job or his location because this story is so unusual that he could still be unfairly branded a kook, even today, when we're moving closer to accepting this weird shit as part of our everyday reality. Josh isn't a kook. He's a curious individual who's not afraid to experiment with reality, or wasn't afraid to experiment with reality back in 2013, and he's very honest about what his curiosity and his experiments yielded. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, someday, this experiment, the throwawaylian narrative, becomes central to helping humanity understand a little bit more about that big, complex, ineffable weirdness that exists just beyond the boundaries of what our tiny little human brains can comprehend. Throwawaylian was my first foray kind of into post-journalism creative writing right uh collective writing uh collective storytelling because the community was a, a big part of it this is a was a time in my life where i was like this is all bullshit i'm pissed off at the charismatics i'm pissed off at the ufo people for not taking this more seriously getting it out right i was just pissed off at the world i had just got forced out of my career from journalism disillusioned by some of his experiences within charismatic christianity and hurting over the recent loss of his career josh was looking for answers and I think as his friend, as someone who's talked to him a bit and has gotten to know him, I think maybe he was looking for some power, too. Some way to reclaim control over his life. So when I wrote the story, right, in 2013, I seem to generally have, uh, to, to generally remember having an idea that I believe remote viewing's real. Uh, my past with charismatic Christianity had kind of informed some of my uh, experiences and perceptions and perspectives, right? And so I thought that there was something to it uh, when I discovered remote viewing in 2013. Despite his feelings about his culture of origin, Josh had witnessed some things within charismatic Christianity that were really hard to explain. Things like 
personal revelations and even prophecies that appeared to come true with remarkable accuracy. The Charismatics, of course, believed that such things were miracles granted by God, but Josh wondered whether these phenomena could have some other explanation. He learned about the concept of remote viewing, and it seemed to fit with some of the things he'd seen and experienced within his religion. So he studied the subject a little, learned how remote viewers typically operated, and then through meditation he put himself into an altered state of consciousness and opened himself to a vision of the future. Specifically, he asked whatever he was communicating with, some other entity or just a part of his own mind that he seldom used, to show him a major event that would impact the world roughly seven years in the future. He figured that would give the story in which he would house his predictions plenty of time to take off on the internet and develop a life of its own, while not being so far into the future that it would be forgotten by the time the predictions came to pass, if they came to pass at all. To Josh's surprise, he received visions. He had a powerful impression of the critical importance of the summer of 2021, when something very important would happen on a global scale involving the mystery of UFOs. He didn't get a sense of doom or dread from this vision, only one of great and somber importance. So he figured there wouldn't be an invasion or anything like that. Rather that human knowledge about this subject would shift in some way that would impact the history of our planet and our species forever. Other very specific and somewhat disorienting details came to him during this experiment with remote viewing. Many of these impressions bore only on Josh's personal life, such as where he would be living in seven years and what he would be doing for a living, but a few details had broader scope. He was made to understand quite forcefully that Lou E would be a central figure in this UFO-related upheaval. Back in 2013, Josh assumed the name Lou E must mean Lou Engel, a prominent figure in charismatic Christianity. Of course, by 2017, he figured out that the Lou E of his vision was actually Luis Elizondo, the one-time head of ATIP. Many of the details in Josh's vision weren't included in the original story, including the name Lou E. Instead, Josh disguised that figure under the pseudonym Coach. Perhaps the weirdest detail of the future, which Josh foresaw that day in 2013, was the fact that Donald Trump would be, by the summer of 2021, a former president. That detail about Trump having been in the White House didn't make it into the story he wrote for Reddit. The idea seemed too absurd at the time, and anyway, it didn't really seem to bear on the crux of the story itself, the prediction that UFOs would become a matter of global public interest in the summer of 2021. But in 2015, when Trump first announced that he intended to make a bid for the White House, Josh was absolutely certain that not only would Trump defy the odds to secure the Republican nomination, but that he would end up in the White House too. After all, he'd seen it. The details and specificity of this vision left Josh discombobulated. He launched into activity, writing the throwawayian narrative in a stream of consciousness rush. I, I do seem to remember having some ideas uh, of I need to get it onto the page quickly before I lose it all, right? Uh, if, you, if you've ever dream journaled, it's that same kind of feeling, like I need to write it all down now in as much detail as I can um, before I lose it. And then I thought, well, where would I put it to save it? Because it was notes to myself in the future as much as it was anything else. And this is why people are like, he didn't care about people believing him. I still don't because it wasn't for them. Right? It wasn't for the masses. That was just the transmission medium. That was the channel that I chose. It was the creative media that I chose. It was a social media writing experiment. And I didn't know where it would go, didn't know what would happen, but I knew that if I was close enough on the date, and I was pretty damn close, that it would take on a life of its own and it would probably spawn a whole subreddit. Right? This is things that I understood intuitively in 2013 because I just understood how the internet worked. Reddit readers connected to Josh's story perhaps because it contains so many elements of true weirdness, that sense of being unable to fully explain certain aspects of the experience. Of course, Josh wasn't abducted by aliens, as his story claimed, but he did experience something truly bizarre and very difficult to put into words. It really became its own story that, like, took off. Like, it, it grew its own legs and it ran around and did its own shit, and it was so strange to watch the, the outcome. It was wild. I can imagine it was wild for people who experienced it, like, as 
participants. But for me, it was wild too. I knew the internet, right? And I knew it keeps a record of everything and it brings up these crazy things from the past. I did realize if I was right, it would probably grow a life of its own. And I was prepared at the time to be able to go through that because I, I, I also realized that I wouldn't have any control because once it's out there, it's out there, right? It's, it's the internet. You can't take it off the internet, right? Barbara Streisand effect. The only thing I really know that happened is that my story's date of July 18th, 2021 was within about three weeks of the UAP task force release uh, at, at June 25th. 2021. Subreddit spawned off of the story with users trying to piece together whatever they could about the narrative. Redditors began searching for more experiencers' accounts that might share similarities with Josh's story. These subs began focusing on the date, July 8th or 18th, which they dubbed AT, and began celebrating annually, making individual and group attempts to mentally contact the aliens from Josh's narrative every 18th of July. They even began figuring out everything they could about the author himself, and they were able to pinpoint a surprising number of details about Josh as a person with some accuracy. People noticed a lot of things, including my typing speed. They, they, they delved into my life and, and accurately guessed I was about a 60 to 70 words per minute typer. Yes, I worked for a as a data entry person for a while, and you had to have high data entry speed. I, there was enough ambiguity in the story and enough I don't knows and I thinks that people could fill in the details and they could speculate, right? Which kind of brings me to another thing that I wanted to do with it. I wanted the story to be one of those things that if it was right, it would it would be such an incredible coincidence that it would spark enough people's imagination to explore more esoteric things, these more esoteric aspects of the UFO phenomena. I think there's a lot of phenomena. I just wrap it all up into UFO phenomena because it kind of encompasses a lot of things in fact it sparked a mass meditation on july 17th people were enough interested in the story it had about 15,000 subs and they were posting all kinds of stuff right there were there are guided meditations for july at that people did and so i absolutely think it did spark some people whatever that is consciously consciousnessly right or uh spiritually even or intellectually it, it, it's i think it stimulated a lot of our intellectual curiosities a great consequences of that is uh, the exploration of these previously sci-fi kind of concepts. Well, mission accomplished. Josh's story damn near became a modern-day UFO religion. UFO religions are not new, by the way. Small, niche cults have been springing up around UFOs and associated New Age ideas since the 1940s. The largest and best-known UFO religion is Scientology, but it's by no means the only one. I think most people tend to think of UFOs as, like, a science fiction topic having nothing to do with religion, spirituality, any of that stuff. Because of the way pop culture has treated the UFO as a figure, as a symbol within our culture, most people tend to associate the idea with technology and space travel and civilizations from other planets. But the more you get into UFOs, the more aware you become that there is this other facet to the mystery. The phenomenon is mental in some way. It's, I hesitate to use this word because it raises the image of hucksters defrauding people on like 1-900 hotlines or whatever, but it's psychic. It's a phenomenon that, as far as we can understand it right now, which admittedly is not much, is tied in some important way to the ways our brains and our senses work. The phenomenon is linked somehow to consciousness, to mind. This becomes obvious the more you learn about UFOs, the more you read the credible reports of encounters, the more you read the research that has been done by serious scientists who've investigated it. We just can't quite define how this phenomenon is linked to consciousness. Yet. I'm sure someday, probably long after I'm dead, we'll figure it out, or we'll figure some of it out, but for now, the most important thing for you, listener, to understand is that UFOs have always been tied very closely to esoterica, to spiritual mystery, to religion. And what was Josh doing all this time while the throwaway alien story was finding a life of its own, beyond his control, beyond his influence, an egregore moving of its own will across the internet? The seven years passed, and I actively tried to forget about it, but actively tried to keep an interest in UFOs in general. So I kept up with all of the Lou Elizondo 2017 stuff and all that. But I had to forget about the throwaway alien story because I know my, nat my, my mental nature, right? I would obsess about it and be like, oh my god, is it here yet? Is it here yet? Is it here yet? 
And so I had to just totally forget about it. But though we all go on living our lives like normal people, the UFO phenomenon persists. It's here, moving around us, doing whatever it is it's doing, while we try to forget about it. One of the benefits of this slow process of disclosure is that now that world governments are no longer ignoring, or worse, ridiculing people who have experienced UFOs and associated phenomena, more people can make serious, data-driven inquiries into these strange occurrences and have their work be taken seriously. One such inquiry was made in the summer of 2021, just a few weeks after our biggest disclosure event, funded by a newly formed research group called UAPX. A team of scientists and military personnel spent several days near the well-documented UFO hotspot of Catalina Island, off the coast of California, gathering data with a methodical and scientific precision. The documentarian Carolyn Corey recorded these processes. Did you watch the documentary A Tear in the Sky? Oh my gosh, I did. There's more. I actually moderate uh, or co-moderate the UAPX Discord channel. Yeah, so I've seen that movie. They did a lot of data presentation at the SCU conference, which, by the way, that presentation is now public, uh, so folks can go and watch that presentation. They had about 50-something unknown objects coming through a atmospheric anomaly, right, uh, which a lot of people speculate is some kind of wormhole. Uh, it's very fascinating data. Yeah, you heard that right. There's a documentary you can watch called A Tear in the Sky, in which a team of scientists captured what appears to be about 50 little tic-tac-shaped things emerging from uh, an atmospheric anomaly, as Josh put it. No one knows what this anomaly is, and no one knows what the things are that appeared to travel through the anomaly. But it's where the title of the documentary comes from, A Tear in the Sky, and in the radar and other footage of the event, it does look very much like someone has ripped a hole in the substance of the sky for all of these little objects to come pouring through. Go watch the documentary if you don't believe me. It's weird. Really weird. And the date this tear in the sky was recorded? July 15th, 2021. Three days before AT. So, what does Josh think about all this nowadays, now that both the throwawaylian story and the summer of 2021 are in the past? I asked him what he thinks was actually behind this whole strange experience. Where did the images and revelations come from? Who sent them into his head? And this was his answer. All of those thoughts were, they were my thoughts, but they had like a signature to them. Do you know what I mean? It's like they're signed with a hash in software, right? When you cryptographically sign something. Like a footprint that they're familiar, but they're distinct. I think that there are telepathic beings. I think entities is a great word for them, whether they're AI in nature or biological or some other form of life that we can't imagine. I think there is an element of connecting to your higher self, right? I, I, I think, you know, what are the source, what is the source of thought itself, right? It's, is it just these neurons that are firing in our brains? I don't think so, but I don't know. If that's the case, is it something like higher consciousness, like a, a, uh, an astral self? or something like that, right? You are not your body, right? I, I've been going through the, some of the Monroe Institute hemi-sync stuff, and they, they keep saying, you're not your body because you're more than physical matter, right? You are not just physical matter. Because you're right, I'm a personality. A personality is not physical at all uh, that we know of. I think there's a lot to it. And it's hard to pinpoint a thing that I say, I think that's the, eh, eh, this is the one thing that it is. And from that standpoint, it's I, I very much subscribe to like the Jacques Vallée approach of, the one thing I'm certain of is that it's real, uh, and I don't know what it is. It's interesting, though, because one of the, the side effects of that is you have to be willing to entertain so many ideas that are even potentially scary. Maybe it's something I can't know. Maybe I can know it. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. So I, just learning how to say, I don't know, and that's okay, has been a great tool for me. And I think that that's been one of the positive benefits of this uh, this whole thing. And I think it's helped me to deal with the phenomena and engaging with the phenomena and investigating the phenomena easier, right? Because I don't trip myself out, like, mentally, thinking of all of the ways that it can be really bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
interesting to me about all of this the mysteries the weirdness my ufo sighting in particular is how it has all made me less afraid as a person the more we acknowledge just how much we do not know about reality the less hostile i find reality to be like on a personal level i know that sounds strange i don't really know why that is, why I find more comfort in chaos than in order. Maybe it's just the way I'm wired. Here's where I can take this whole UFO thing a little deeper, though. Here's another thing I've never told anyone else before. No one in my life, period. No one knows this about me. When I was a very young child, like toddler age, maybe five years old at the most, I got up from bed in the middle of the night and I was walking through the house to get a glass of water in the kitchen. And our house in Idaho was on top of this big hill called the Rexburg Bench. And the house had this big bay window that looked out over the valley below. And as I came out of the hallway into the kind of dining room area where this big window was, I found a face looking at me from the other side of the glass. It was not a human face. It had large almond-shaped eyes, and it stared at me, and I got this sensation inside myself that was kind of like hearing words, but not exactly like hearing words. And the words inside me seemed to say, Oh, it's a small one. It's awake. I was terrified. From that age all the way into my teens, I never slept in a bed by myself again. I either slept with my mom or with my sister, and my family tried everything they could think of to get me to sleep alone, but I would not. Whenever I was alone at night, I was just beset by this awful, cold terror. This feeling that something else was out there, and it was watching me. And then as I got a little older, The X-Files became a popular show and gray alien mania swept American culture. And sometimes there would be commercials on TV for like time life books about alien abductions and they would have pictures of gray aliens with those fucking creepy eyes. And sometimes the aliens would be looking into people's homes with their windows. And whenever I was confronted with an image of a gray alien, I would just lose control of myself. I would scream in absolute terror. As I got into my teen years, I managed to convince myself that the memory from my childhood of that face looking in at me was just a nightmare. And honestly, that's probably true. It probably was just a bad dream that feels like a genuine memory. Memory is funny that way. It's unreliable even when it feels very solid and truthful. But even when I convinced myself that the experience wasn't real, the fear remained with me. I was sleeping by myself now, but I always slept with the radio on, and I never faced the window at night. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. The memory of that face looking at me was so clear and so terrifying, whether it was a real memory or a false one. So you might think that night, 20 years ago, when I looked up into the night sky and saw something inhuman, would have deepened my fear of the unknown. But actually, the opposite happened. When I saw a real UFO, all my fear of aliens, of unknown beings from somewhere beyond, just vanished. I became enthusiastic about the subject, curious, maybe even dedicated. And far from being afraid of UFOs now, I am excited about them. And I feel so fortunate to be alive on Earth right now when we're making the first tentative moves toward understanding this mystery instead of shrinking from it and trying to hide from it. We're throwing open our arms as a species to embrace a greater, wider, more nuanced version of reality, and that is so exciting to me. 
you know, it's kind of a cliche, but I think it's also really true. It's the unknown things we fear. I lived my whole life in absolute terror of UFOs, and then when I finally saw one, it wasn't frightening at all. It was beautiful and wondrous, and it filled me with overwhelming awe. It sparked a delight and an enthusiasm that has lived in me so much longer than the fear lived. And I think if I hadn't seen those five strange lights in the sky, I would still harbor some fear of aliens, of unknown beings. You know, sometimes the best way to see something clearly is to just look at it, straight on. Stare it in the eye, even if the eye is a little freaky looking. I don't care what it is, what frightens you, what upsets you, what worries you. When you look at it directly, it's never as upsetting as it seems when you're shying away from it. And you might even find that it carries an unexpected kind of beauty. There's truth in mystery. There's a greatness in our smallness. And frontiers, even now, are waiting for us, waiting for you to venture out into the plane of possibility and leave your footprints in the dust. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to Future Saint of a New Era on your favorite podcast app. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review, since that helps tweak the algorithm so I can find more curious weirdos like yourself. Big thanks to my friend and guest for the week, Josh, the man behind the legend of Throwawaylian. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Throwawaylian, and yes, it's a play on Throwawaylian. Sound collage components were found on the following YouTube channels, Vespa GPS, AM Smiles, Sci-Fi B-Movie Guy, Cinepix, and Pine Groove Production Music. The musical interlude was Von UFOs Antwort by Abendblau, licensed under the Creative Commons. Additional music includes They Come at Night and Xenon Sentry by Shane Ivers. The outro music is Run in the Mardi Gras by Boko, used with permission of Big Crown Records. If you want more stuff from the inside of my head, check out my book The Prophet's Wife, because it's the best thing I've ever made and I really want it to find the people who will appreciate it. For more information about this podcast, including ways to contact me and socials, visit futuresaintpod.com. I'm Libby Grant, and until next time, do good magic and make good worlds. Oh,